Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today. We are a couple days away now from the new year, and we are going to venture into part two of the rebroadcast series here to finish out 2019. These are, again, the top two podcasts that were downloaded and listened to during 2019. Last week, I rebroadcasted the episode with Amanda Hughes. I hope you enjoyed that. And today we are going even further back in the vault, all the way into February of 2019, to listen to the episode with my friend Chris Gobby. Chris is at Nike. He's the manager of a special program there called Ekin. He is also a former Division I student athlete at Binghamton University, where he competed in both cross-country, and track and field. Again, if you missed this episode or you are new to the podcast, you are in for a treat. Have a happy new year, everyone. I will be signing back on with new episodes starting Monday, January 6th. So please stay tuned for all of that. And now let's dive back into this conversation. Here is my talk with Chris Gobby. Gobby on the line with me. Chris, thanks so much for being on. Thanks, Colin. I uh, appreciate you having me today. Absolutely. Let's dive right into this conversation and get through this first segment and on to some of the more interesting stuff. Not that what about you isn't interesting enough, but we want to start just learn a little bit more about who are you Sure. Um, again, thanks for having me. My name is Chris Gobby, and nowadays I live outside of New York City in Westchester County. I work in New York City for an amazing company called Nike, and uh, I oversee our Ekin program at Nike. And um, Ekin is Nike backwards. Our, our Ekin team is essentially our kind of grassroots marketing, infield marketing specialists kind of evangelizing the brand and telling our brand story um, on the front line. So I oversee that group. And uh, yeah, I'm a uh, graduate of Binghamton University in upstate New York, uh, where I was a a cross-country and track and field student athlete. Yeah, so let's start there. Tell us, went to school, SUNY Binghamton, you got your bachelor's and your master's degrees while you were at school there participated in, as you mentioned, cross-country and track and field. So not only did you participate, but it seems like you had a pretty decorated athletic career. And I'd love to hear about how you balanced your academics with competing at a high level on the athletic field. Sure. Uh, Well, uh, I always like to kind of start with the origins of my athletic journey. I definitely would say it has been a very non-linear journey for me as an athlete. I'm actually from upstate New York, from Binghamton, where I went to college, but actually didn't grow up running track and field or cross country. Uh, I grew up playing baseball and basketball as my main sports. I come from a, a sport family through and through. My dad was a professional baseball player for the Yankees in the 70s. Uh, my brothers were, were great athletes, and uh, my mother is probably the best athlete uh, of us all. So <laughs> just grew up on sport, loving sport in every kind of capacity possible. My true love was basketball, and that was where I 
devoted uh, the most energy and commitment growing up. And I hit a, I guess, uh, turning point when I was a sophomore in high school where it was getting difficult to balance playing baseball and basketball. I was playing um, AAU basketball at the time, and it was conflicting. And so I quit playing baseball, which was a really difficult decision, especially given kind of my family's connection to the sport. And through dumb luck, I started uh, attending track and field practices. Um, I knew the coach and, yeah, just got really started running for going to the practices for no better reason than to just stay in shape. And in a really, really short time, my world kind of turned upside down. Um, I was convinced to go to a couple meets. And, yeah, in short order, uh, I became a runner. And I was not – it was not on my radar at all. I wasn't even really interested in running. I always, I always looked at running as a, as a punishment, <laughs> uh, like running suicides and running foul pole to foul pole. Sure. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, I, I just fell in love with the sport. I love just the, you know, the aspect of training. I loved uh, the competition and yeah, in, in, in real short order, I went from, you know, having never really run before to having some success at the high school level and thinking about running in college. And when I got to college, uh, we had, uh, I, I went to Binghamton University, which was local. And I, it was a school that I had never uh, intended to go to because my mother, my father, my brother were all graduates of the college and had made uh, profound impacts at the university um, in athletics. So I, I just felt uh, challenged to kind of live up to their legacy. But as I assessed the university, you know, all that it had to offer, it definitely met, you know, my requirements as a student and my goals as an athlete. But when I got to Binghamton, we weren't very good. Um, we were actually, um, had only been a Division One program for maybe five years, and we, we really struggled early on. The transition for me was pretty smooth uh, as far as kind of balancing athletics and academics. I think the biggest challenge was... When you're a Division One track and field or cross-country athlete, you really are a three-sport varsity athlete because you run cross-country, you know, you run track, both indoors and outdoors. So it's a full-year commitment. But I think one of the things that helped me was I was really fresh and I wasn't really burnt out because the sport was still new and exciting to me. You know, as I got integrated into Binghamton, I really focused on academics. I actually was fortunate enough to graduate in three years uh, at the university and continued on and did my MBA or my master's at the school. And that's where it got really, really difficult to balance. Um, I think one of the things that really helped me was just the rigorous structure of my schedule. Looking back, I'm kind of shocked at like how much of a a well-oiled machine you have to be to compete at that level and, and especially you know, pursue academics uh, in addition. So I was just super structured, uh, really focused on just like prioritizing um, my studies as well as my athletics. There was definitely sacrifices that I had to make at that time, you know, not necessarily living the traditional college lifestyle. I couldn't really go out every weekend, you know, couldn't stay up super late, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I had an amazing, amazing experience, both academically and, and especially as an athlete. Wow. There's so much to <laughs> sort through with that. That'll be a good, uh, 
a good baseline for our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think where I want to start picking through that a little bit more is, so you make that switch to running and ultimately you give up basketball and baseball, which it seemed like, especially at the time you had more passion for. Did there ever come a point either in college or even after college where you said to yourself, man, did I make the right choice? Or man, I wish I had you know, tried to keep playing basketball or keep playing baseball when you had to give that up in high school. Did that thought ever cre- creep into your head at any point? You know, it's, it's a great question, Colin, and I would say definitely. But I think one of the great equalizers for me was uh, I probably wasn't going to be a Division One baseball or basketball player. You know, sure. I was undersized, two guard, and I didn't have much power as a, as a second baseman. So, you know, in that respect, I, I had no regrets as far as the transition over to, to running. But, you know, I definitely missed. I missed the sport. One of the things that I encourage kids to do growing up now is, you know, not specialize. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. grateful that I didn't specialize um, in one particular sport growing up because it allowed me to be a bit more of a well-rounded athlete and, and have passion for more than just like one sport that can be, you know, very consuming. So in that respect, you know, I, I, um, I'm grateful for the, the baseline and foundation I had in other sports. And, you know, once I got going and running, I really got into it. I really got committed to just our goals as a team and, you know, my goals, uh, my goals personally as an athlete as well. And, in the blink of an eye, you really, you know, you, you go from just being a, a kid who loves playing all sports to really focusing on one thing. It was challenging at times mentally, but um, at the same at the same respect, it, it allowed you to be really successful because you were, you, were, you were focused on one thing. Sure. Now, this is a two-part question, I guess. When you made the transition to running and you decided to do that, at the next level, at the collegiate level. Can you talk to us about some of the things that you learned through your experiences with baseball and basketball and how you were able to apply those to running? Because I think, and you started to get into this a little bit when you were talking about the specialization, how you encourage kids not to do that. And I'm totally in agreement with this. And I think one of the more valuable things that people can take away from conversations like this is well, what do I actually, what, what stands to gain by playing multiple sports? And I think some of those things, and I don't want to speak for you specifically about some of the experiences that you had, but it is some of the situational things that you go through, you know, say on the basketball court, maybe you had some level of adversity that you had to overcome that you would have never overcame otherwise, or you would have never had that experience otherwise, had you not been playing the sport and it prepared you for another moment of adversity when you were playing baseball or when you were running, did that ever happen? Like, did you see like, Hey, wow, I'm so glad that I played this other sport because now I'm prepared for this later on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that playing multiple sports uh, does for you growing up is one, uh, I think it gives you a lot of emotional intelligence because you have a diversity of experiences and dynamics that you, you, you have to face in all different sports and different challenges and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, you know, you're able to translate those things as you 
focus more on just one area um, as you get to the collegiate level. I also think uh, I would be remiss if I said it didn't help me physically as well, because I don't, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm definitely not a a kinesiologist or, or anything like that, but my wife is in sports medicine. And there's a lot of studies on sports specialization and how it can, it can affect your biomechanics. It can affect, you know, the different mechanics that, you know, go into one particular sport. And I think be it that I played a lot of sports growing up, there was no real intimidation when it came to the rigors of training, the rigors of, you know, weight training, the rigors of, um, just recovery and all that comes with, uh, with being a student athlete, I think. Those experiences playing multiple sports uh, really prepare you for just the, the grind that is being a college athlete. Now, the second part to the question is transitioning that to your life after sports. What do you think were some of the biggest gains that you got by playing multiple sports and learning from those experiences that you've been able to take with you into the next phases of your life? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think uh, my experience as a student athlete at Binghamton University 100% shaped has shaped my life and career uh, in so many ways. You know, when I got to Binghamton University and was running cross country and track, we were kind of a fledgling program and we were really building from the ground up. And you know, one of the things that I felt like we were lacking at that time was just like the culture, uh, a winning culture and like a commitment to excellence and, and giving your best to get, you know, the best out of both yourself as an individual and the team. And as I kind of embarked on uh, my experience as a student athlete, it, it was amazing to for our program to bring in so many athletes that were like minded and, and really committed to long-term success in the sport and um, over time I think we really struggled uh, in the beginning but over time we started building together as a team we started committing not just short-term goals but long-term goals and really falling in love with just the process that it takes to be great and by the time I was a senior at Binghamton uh, we actually won the America East Conference Championship you know so we went really from last to first in, in about four years and I think that experience in and of itself is something that I've taken with me uh, as I, I've gone on to my professional life. I think it's really easy to to play the short game and not necessarily play the long game. You know, I think uh, some of the things that translated over was that notion of just really falling in love with the process and focusing uh, both on short and long-term growth and, and also being realistic and realizing that success isn't going to happen overnight. And, you know, that it, it may be a little bit nonlinear. You may have to take some lateral steps. You may have to take a step back to, to move two steps forward. I think the experience as an athlete and just like the all-encompassing nature that comes with committing to something bigger than yourself just helps helps you be so successful. And, and I've, seen, uh, I've seen it so many times over um, at Nike, just that there's so many student-athletes that are at our company, our former student-athletes, and, and seeing um, how they've translated their success as an athlete into the workplace is, is super cool and, and really, really inspiring. Now, when you talk about that experience at Binghamton, and you mentioned how when you first got in, the culture wasn't really there, and throughout the course of your time there, it started to change over. 
was that something that was a player led movement? Was that something that was led by your coaches or by the administration? Was it a combination of everybody working together? Can you just give us a little insight into how that started? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I think it was a collective result of just everyone involved in our program. You know, first and foremost, starting with our, our head coach, Annette Acuff. I can recall a time, and, and her and I still joke about this, when uh, I was a freshman and we went to the Americas Conference Championship and we got rocked. I think we were, we were either last or second to last place. I performed really poorly. You know, I was, uh, at that time, you know, one of our top runners, and I didn't feel like I held up my end of the bargain as being, you know, our number one guy. And I was just so disappointed to be at the bottom. And I think it was then and there that we, like, really committed that this was just not going to be where we were going to stay. And she had a tremendous vision for every individual athlete in our program. And in doing so, it allowed for us as athletes to have a vision uh, collectively you know, and then there's just so many people that um, affect your success when you get to that level. You know, our strength and conditioning coaches, our trainers, even, you know, the faculty and, and staff at the university and their their commitment to understanding when, you know, you have to miss a class, we uh, have to travel and be on the road. So I think it, was, it truly was a collective effort, you know, and I'd say led by the coach um, and led by, you know, the leaders on the team. Very cool. I want to go back to talking a little bit about your dad and him growing up, getting through the professional ranks with uh, in Major League Baseball. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of times you see this, whether it's you know when it was Ken Griffey Jr. coming up, or more recently, like with the Curry brothers and everything. A lot of times, athletes they get that enhanced advanced education, I guess you want to call it about what it takes to get to the professional levels and to, you know, really get through that grind and do everything that you need to do to be successful at the highest level. And you're also exposed sometimes to, you know, the elements that some of us who didn't have, you know, parents or uncles or aunts or anyone who played at a professional level, we don't get to experience that where, you know, maybe we got to go into the clubhouse. Like I can remember the stories of Cal Ripken Jr. going into the clubhouse with his dad and things like that. So I'm curious, was there any lesson or was there anything in particular that you learned from your dad that you took when you were playing sports in high school and in college? And maybe even something that you take with you to this day that you learned through him teaching you something or through the experiences that he had? Yeah, it's, it's another great question. I really feel blessed and super fortunate to have had so many role models in sport, you know, in my family directly, inclusive of my, my father. And uh, my father was an, an amazing athlete. You know, he was a great college athlete and was able to pursue uh, a professional baseball career and was even a scout for the Yankees for many years. And Growing up, I didn't even understand uh, at the time what I was being exposed to, but it was exposure to, to sport kind of on, from the inside out and, and really understanding just like the strategy of the game or, or sports that we played, understanding like the commitment it took to pursue greatness and the sports, you know, my brothers and I were playing growing up. 
But if there's one thing that really stood out for me was it was just the the aspect of integrity. My dad was is a man of great integrity and really instilled the level uh, or instilled the value of sportsmanship in us. And if we were ever getting boastful or cocky in any way, he would he would quickly bring us back to earth. And you know he just he he taught us that there really are no shortcuts. There's always going to be athletes that are that are more talented than you. There's going to be athletes that have different resources than you. Um, so it's really about respecting the game and respecting um, yourself and your teammates and, and just trying to get the best out of what you can give to the game. Did your dad have any advice or any guidance that he gave you when you were trying to determine for yourself whether you should continue to play baseball or whether you should continue to play basketball or how that was going to work? Was he able to give you some guidance there? It was a really difficult decision for me when I was, you know, maybe only 15 years old to, um, to start specializing uh, a bit more in a sport. And I thought that that was at what I was doing by giving up baseball to focus on playing basketball all year round. And so it was a difficult decision because at the time my brother was, uh, was a Division One baseball player. My dad had a, a great career as a baseball player as well. But my dad really respected the decision and supported it. And then uh, what really turned the world upside down was was how running kind of like found its way into our family and into, you know, my life as an athlete. It really happened so organically and, and happened so quickly that uh, even we, we joke like, how did this even happen? Um, and so I think my dad really supported just my commitment to being an athlete and being successful in whatever sport it was at that time, you know, and, and in this case, uh, running. Now, sticking with running, I did some research and found out that as of the time this article was written, so it might need to be updated, but as of the time the article was written, you were a six-time marathoner. I didn't even really know what to say to myself when I was doing that research, thinking about the amount of miles for six marathons on top of the amount of miles for training, and then just the fun miles that I'm sure you run <laughs> throughout a, a year, any given year, and everything like that. Tell us a little bit about some of those marathons. You know, like what what are some of your favorites? Do you have any in the future that you're planning to do? I think that's a life that a lot of us can't even really envision multiple marathons let alone six of them (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have to admit marathons are pretty pretty crazy in nature i ran my first marathon maybe one or two years out of college and uh (laughs) i joke that every marathon that i've done there after i've gotten slower just being more and more removed from you know my my heyday if you will but I've really enjoyed the experience of running marathons, you know, post-collegiate, and I've kind of put a different energy and focus into it. You know, I'm totally acknowledging that there's other priorities in my life that have taken a bit more of importance, whether that be personal or professional, and I'm, I'm certainly not able to train at the level that I did back in the day. Uh, and so at, at first it was really difficult to run races and marathons and like just not be anywhere close to uh, the level of performance I was at when I was um, when I was running in college. But then over time, I actually learned to like it even more. 
Um, I felt like I hit a point where I just started taking the pressure off myself and just started appreciating appreciating the sport in a way that I had never done before. I think when you go to a marathon, like a New York City marathon, and there's 50 or 60,000 runners and there's, you know, millions of spectators, it's it really is so inspiring. And the thing that I love about running is anyone for the most part can do it. And it really is a great metaphor for life and that what you get out of the sport is is a result of what you put into the sport. And it doesn't require, you know, crazy equipment, resources or travel. Like you can literally just have a pair of running shoes and hop out your, your front door and go for a run. So as I've transitioned into adulthood, I've really appreciated that. I'm actually going to be running my seventh marathon. Uh, so you, you were right. Uh, <laughs> I've done six marathons. I'll be running my seventh one here in April in, in Boston. And yeah, my two favorite marathons that I've run are definitely New York City and, and Boston Marathon. This will be the third time that I've run Boston and, you know, two two world major marathons, but but really, really different in a lot of ways. I feel like Boston Marathon has this kind of mystique and history about it. Um, it, it almost feels a bit, a bit more of like a local uh, road race, which sounds crazy since there's so many runners. And then New York is just insane. I think especially for me being a New Yorker, the experience of just uh, the fan support along the way on the course and running through all all five boroughs. It, it's pretty emotional, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can't even imagine something like that. I've only run one marathon in my career, if you want to call it that. I did the Mardi Gras marathon down in New Orleans. I think I was I was 18 when I did it, and that was... <laughs> it, it it was uh it was a ton of fun. I've had no desire since then <laughs> to do another one. So good for you to to keep it up and keep running and and everything. When you decided that you wanted to, you know, let's say do your first marathon. And you talked about how you had some frustrations because you weren't able to get the time that you wanted and you weren't able to train maybe as much as you want it either. When you decided to do your first marathon, did you go in with the thought of, hey, I'm going into like place in my age division or something like that? Or was it more just something to do after college? And there was just those frustrations that came naturally because you were so used to competing at such a high level. I'd say the latter. You know, I you you culminate your career as a student athlete it's really challenging because it's it's something that's so consuming and in a lot of ways like defines a lot of your past experiences and it's really hard to let it go and so i think naturally i just signed up for a marathon because it allowed me to continue that journey and that process what i learned as i kind of transitioned was how much went into being so successful in college and even to this day, I've never had the same burning desire to like perform at the highest level and be super elite and, and that sort of thing as I've kind of taken on running marathons. It's become more of like a personal battle and just a, a physical test and um, a way to continue to engage in the sport and, and maybe a, a new way through new experiences that I didn't have growing up. I, I remember my first couple marathons and races after 
after college, you know, just naturally I, I wasn't training at the level that I did previously because I was pursuing my professional career. I was pursuing, you know, personal relationships and, um, it, it just didn't take the same priority that it did when I was a student athlete. And that, that in and of itself was, was really uh, a difficult pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. And once I started just really appreciating the, you know, mental and physical aspects of the sport and, and more than anything, like how the sport brings the community together, I like almost fell in love with the sport all over again, but in a new way. And you know, haven't looked back. I would be lying if I said I don't have some moments here during the winter where it's tough to get, you know, your feet out the door. But I think that's the great <laughs> sure. equalizer of running. The best athletes in the world kind of go through the same struggles as like the new runner or the, or the person who's just um, running for health and for wellness. And running teaches you a lot because it's pretty blue collar. You know, there's not really any shortcuts. You basically... Um, in order to get better, you just have to run a lot. And it's it's a value that you can bring with you into anything that you do in your life, whether that's personal relationships, whether that's your career, whether that's, you know, community work. It, like I said, it's a, it's a great metaphor for, for life. Hey, everyone. Christine here to talk about a sponsor of this show, my own business, Sweat With Stods. Head over to sweatwithstods.com to get the workout that suits your needs, whether you work out at home, in the gym, or you're brand new to fitness. There's something for everyone. Podcast listeners also get a special discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout, so be sure to head on over there after this. Thanks, and back to the show. So it seems like you were satisfied with your competitive athletic career once you wrapped things up after college and you were ready to transition, to move on to some of the next phases in your life, but you found some identity struggles. You maybe struggled with some transitioning just into career work, into the business world, things that a lot of us, I think, struggle with and have issues with and don't really know what direction to go because we can't predict the future. Can you talk to us a little bit in more detail, I guess, about what your journey was like when you were transitioning and how you ultimately found your place in Nike? Because it seems like you've been able to grow with Nike and it's a place that you're comfortable and has opportunities for you and is something that aligns with your passion and interest, obviously. But Nike just didn't happen overnight, right? So can you give us a little bit of insight into that journey and how we got to this point? Absolutely. So obviously, always loved Nike as an athlete, as do most athletes growing up playing sports. And it wasn't really until I was in graduate school and started learning about, you know, the origins of Nike and Nike from a true business lens that I started truly understanding that it could even be a career possibility for me. And so early on, I I just was kind of infatuated with the concept of um, pursuing a career at Nike and really had no idea what I was doing. I I didn't have many connections at all. I was really fortunate to meet a gentleman who was the CEO of a marketing agency that was based out in Oregon, actually in Beaverton, Oregon. And he became a great mentor to me. And he actually hired me. And so I did something I never thought I would do. I packed my bags and I moved to to Portland, Oregon and um, worked for a marketing agency. But I think 
being in Oregon gave me an, an entirely new sense of appreciation for just that goal and my desire of getting to the company. You know, anyone that I connected with from the company just shared an incredible passion uh, for giving back and for supporting athletes and, and making people's lives better through sport. And that was something that, you know, I had always identified with, but it was kind of resurfacing in a new light professionally. And so I kind of just went all in, to be honest with you, at Nike. It was really challenging on the front end. I didn't, I had kind of a hiatus from when I stopped working for the marketing agency and uh, finished my MBA and got to Nike. And uh, that time was was really challenging for me, but it gave me some time to recalibrate. I felt like, you know, I, I was go, go, go for so long. And, you know, I wasn't able to really take a lot of time to reflect on my past experiences and start charting the path that I want to go forward. And so I had a little bit of a hiatus for about a year. And I, uh, at that time, met my now wife, which was amazing. Um, I did uh, I worked as a bartender and I worked I worked construction, which neither by any means were on my career map, mm -hmm. but just gave me such an, a sense of appreciation for um, hard work and for just trusting the process. And, and then um, ultimately, I, I wasn't having much luck getting my foot in the door. And so I took uh, a role uh, as an athlete, which we call it Nike, which is a store associate in our retail stores. And I, I moved to Westchester County and worked on the, the shop floor in, in a mall at a Nike store. And you know, again, not something that would have initially been on my career map, but probably the most important job that I ever had because it gave me a foundation for Nike as a business. And it allowed me to do uh, what I believe is probably the most important thing at Nike, which is the ability to engage and connect with uh, the consumer. And then it's just been a wild journey ever since. I think that process and that transition just grounded me and gave me a sense of appreciation for just maybe some of the challenges and some of the sacrifices early on and also just taught me a little bit more uh, patience than probably I had early on in my career and you know ever since it's just been awesome I've done a lot of different things with the company and um, I've just tried to embrace every experience and um, every person that has touched me and, and I've tried to you know, just commit my career at Nike to, to impacting those on my team and those that I work with. Now, obviously, you had your eyes on a prize, right? You had Nike in the future. That's what you wanted to do. Ultimately, you got there. But to get there, again, your journey wasn't it wasn't a straight line up the whole time. You had to make some sacrifices and do some different things. And I think there's so many of us out there that have a very similar type jersey, type jersey, type journey <laughs> without knowing. Jerseys too, though, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> without, without knowing exactly what we want the outcome to be. I'm sure you've come across either friends or family, people that have come into these situations and it could be affected by so many different things. I mean, you and I, we came through when the recession was, still pretty strong. It was getting towards the end of it. So there's the economic piece. There's sometimes you got to make a sacrifice and move. There's that piece. There's family, personal things that play into professional decisions. If you had like one piece of advice to give to someone 
who maybe is struggling right now with their confidence about where they want to be because of where they are, what is that like one piece of tactical or practical advice that you could give someone? You know, one thing that I'm really big on is uh, focusing on experiences and not jobs or titles, but really like what are the experiences that you're looking for that will help you grow professionally and personally. I think it's something that, you know, early on in my career, maybe I didn't appreciate as much as I do now, but but really focusing on that, that aspect. So what are the experiences you can gain that will help you grow both short and long term? It's something that I've tried to instill, you know, with my team uh, at Nike, but also personally. And, you know, as I've gotten older and had, you know, started to kind of build uh, a life outside of work and a family, it's really been apparent to me that it's easy to get caught up in trying to compare yourself to, to others. But, you know, I think that the people that I've seen that are most successful are comparing themselves to themselves and comparing their experiences, both past and present, as a mechanism to help them get to where they want to go. And and whether that's a new job, whether that's, you know, buying a house or, you know, going on a vacation, like, uh, I think if if you're focusing more on the experiences you're looking for and less on just like what others view that opportunity, I think it'll it'll help enrich, um, enrich you both personally and professionally. That makes sense. It absolutely does. I love it. I don't even have anything to add to it, but I totally agree. I tell people a very similar thing all the time, and I think that should really resonate with people. And I know it's a harder thing, you know, to do than it is to say. Much like with anything in life, but if you just kind of block out that noise and focus on what you're trying to get and what makes you happy, I think. Like you said, that just makes everything so much easier and makes you appreciate everything more. And ultimately, I think can get you to a place of happiness, whatever that is or however it is that you define that. So I really love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're in a leadership position with Nike. Did you have any idea that, you know, growing up that you wanted to be in a leadership type position or when did that come about as a reality that you said to yourself, hmm, I could see myself doing that or hmm, that this looks fun. I, I might enjoy being in a position like this. So I've always viewed leadership as more of a mindset than a position. And so though I am technically in a, a leadership like position or role at the company, you know, something that I, I try to instill in my team is really everyone on the team is a leader and, um, everyone should seek op- opportunities to lead and, and be led. And so growing up playing sports, I, I think I, I always viewed that as a mindset and not necessarily as like a role on the team. As I've kind of grown, I think it's more happened organically than anything. I love uh, just being in a position to help people and, you know, give some of my uh, guidance and uh, from my past experiences and um, some of the learnings that I've had and, and be able to give those back to um, to other teammates. And it's something that I've always tried to do um, in my career. And um, now that I'm in a, you know, more of a quote unquote leadership position at the company, I valued all the past experiences and 
just like all of the leaders that I've had personally, I, I've always felt like the experiences I had being led um, have helped me be a better leader and have also taught me the, the value of not always, sometimes leadership is a mindset where you're focused on actually learning and, and being led. And so every day I learn things from my team. Um, I seek out opportunities um, for them to lead me to. And, you know, I think it, it's helped it's helped both me and my team be successful, um, but also given us an opportunity to really like share best practices and, and learn from each other. Can you tell us about one to two of those people that influenced you as far as the leadership goes to be the type of leader that you are today? Absolutely. Uh, I, I'll kind of start with my number one, which is my mom. My mom is a, a pretty amazing person. She was a great athlete growing up, but grew up uh, before the passage of, of Title IX. So she wasn't afforded the same opportunities that, you know, my brothers and I were afforded um, as athletes. Uh, but she's kind of committed her entire life to sport and wellness. So growing up, she was uh, she was a fitness instructor. She uh, was in a, she was like a OG aerobics influencer. And then she ended up going to college when I was in middle school and got her degree and then got her master's. And for the last couple of decades has been a athletic administrator, actually at the college that I went to, Binghamton University. And it was my mom that kind of instilled in me the value of merging work and life and pursuing your passion. And it's never too late to pursue your passion. You know, she pursued the that like permanently in the second half of her career and she's been able to do just amazing things as a as an athletic administrator at the college and I think it's, it's a good lesson for us all that you know it's never too late to pursue the things that you're most passionate about and there's always opportunities to pursue those things you just have to seek them out and you have to kind of commit to them. Now you made an interesting point when you were talking about how your beliefs or your values, you know, you believe that everybody should kind of not seek out a leadership position, but everybody has that innate ability to lead in one way or another, right? How do we get people to buy into that? Like, how do you get your teammates to buy into that? Because I think we're personally speaking from the experiences that I've had where there's a lot of friction or there's a lot of pushback is not everybody wants to be a leader, quote unquote, but maybe that's because they have a misconception of what a leader is. Like, you know, maybe they don't want a title, but you can still be a leader if you don't have a title. How do we get people to buy into the fact that we should all use our leadership qualities in one way or another, even if we're not the actual manager of our program or team or captain of our organization or our team or whatever it may be? It's a great question. You know, something that I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to better both in my, my life uh, as well as my profession. And one thing that I think is really important is being a champion of just diversity, diversity of thought, experience, culture, um, if everybody is kind of thinking and talking and behaving the same way, you know, I, I oftentimes think that's where the friction really lies. And so 
just instilling that as a value uh, personally has been something that's helped me. And as I've kind of built a team of my own, I've always really valued just the diversity of backgrounds and experiences that people are able to bring to the table. And I think that lends to a really whole dynamic in a team because it gives uh, really everyone an opportunity to lead at, in, at certain times and gives everyone else on the team an opportunity to lean on each other's backgrounds, experiences, expertise. It's something that I, I'm really passionate about and consistently trying to seek out on my own as well of ways that you know, maybe I can gain experience or exposure to new things, um, new ways of thinking, new ways of problem solving. Um, so I'm not just kind of like, quote unquote, stuck in my old ways. Yeah, I like that a lot. I was doing a little bit more research, came across that, and you may use this in your everyday leadership capacity and when you're working with your teammates and different things like that. But you have advice for people who want to achieve success and you live by three guiding principles. I want to run through those three principles, if that's cool, and just give you an opportunity to give us a little bit more insight into each principle. So yeah, I have three, three guide, guiding principles. One is uh, enjoy and treasure every single step of your journey. Oftentimes, and I know I've learned this the hard way, it's hard to appreciate the moment and appreciate the experience and the learning that you're getting in real time because mm -hmm. you're so focused on, you know, where you want to get to next. And I, it's something that I've kind of learned uh, both personally, like uh, I use an analogy of hiking. And uh, sometimes if you're just so committed to getting to the top of the mountain, you may miss amazing sights and sounds along the way. Um, and it's a good analogy for just life. So for, yeah, uh, enjoy and treasure in every single step of the journey. The second principle is bring purpose and excellence in all that you do. Uh, I think this, this goes back to, and I think it's something that all athletes that can relate to, is ensuring that you always have a sense of purpose. You know, what is it that gets you up in the morning? You know, what is it that drives you to be successful? And then I think it's, it, it really is all, all about that relentless pursuit of excellence. You know, that's what uh, all of us as athletes are, are committed to growing up and um, never lose sight of that. I think there's a lot of trials and tribulations that may happen along the way. They, there can be setbacks. But I think if you're just uh, focused on the pursuit of excellence and not the outcome of excellence, you know, you, you can be enriched along the way. And then something that a leader taught me early on at Nike uh, that I just loved. And um, I know a lot of athletes talk about this, but is, uh, is the notion of leaving a legacy. You know, when you leave uh, an experience or you leave an opportunity or a position, you know, what's the leave behind um, that you want to give? Like, how do you want to be remembered for the way that you, you Im impacted people's lives and that you added value to, to your team? And so, yeah, those are, those are my big three. I love it, man. I didn't even have to tell you what they were. You just knew them. So <laughs> they must be pretty ingrained into you. Yeah, I try to try to remind myself them, you know, at least once every week or so. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about this show is called Dynamic Leaders. And at Talent 409, we define a dynamic leader as 
you know, someone who is courageous, driven and accountable, motivational. They have integrity. They have grit, great communicator, and they have a high level of emotional intelligence. They use the seven pillars of what we call dynamic leadership. Dynamic leaders are also people that lead on the field and off the field. I know you mentioned your mom a little bit earlier as being a leading influencer in your life, but is there anybody else that you want to give a shout out to that you think is a dynamic leader? You know, yeah, I think uh, definitely my family in general, you know, they are my purpose going back to my, my guiding principles. Like they are my purpose. They are my reason for why I get up and, and try to just do my, the best I can to be successful every day. And, you know, everyone in my family um, has shaped and, and helping lead me, you know, definitely starting with my parents. I was the, the youngest in my family, so I had two older brothers growing up. And, yeah, I've, I've learned so much from each of them. They're, they're extremely different. They both were uh, very successful athletes in their own right and have been very successful in their, their professional lives, too. And, you know, when you're the youngest, you're just trying to get bits and pieces of them along the way. And you don't even really realize until you get older, you know, the impact that um, your siblings can can make on you. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my wife. I know, Colin, you got married recently, too. And yeah, my, my wife has, has certainly influenced me in, in so many different ways, you know, certainly inspired me to, to be successful professionally, but also just has helped ground me and in, in making sure that, you know, we're always kind of putting family family first and, and making sure that our family is um, our number one priority um, and everything that we do is, is meant uh, to serve our family. I'm becoming more and more convinced. The more often I ask that question that if you have a strong support system at home, in your personal life, whatever that may look like, it doesn't need to be the traditional family that we think about, you know, the Brady Bunch type thing. But if you have a strong support system, that really seems to enhance a lot of other things in just in your life and my life and everybody else that I've asked that question to. There's a pretty common denominator there. And it seems like having that support system. So not surprised, but definitely happy for you that you have that. Thanks, Tom. I just want to uh, give you an opportunity. I know the programs and the things that you're doing with Nike are pretty interesting and we don't have to get into all the details about it, obviously, but if you'd like to leave us with some cool little details today about some of the things that you may be working on or some of the things that you're already doing and just give us a little insider look into what's going on in your world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's been a a absolutely amazing and wild ride at Nike so far. Um, I'm celebrating my seventh year at Nike right now. And uh, nowadays, I am in a role uh, overseeing our Eakin program at Nike. Eakin is Nike backwards. And the Eakin program was actually started by Phil Knight. And our Eakins uh, are essentially kind of like the front lines of the brand. So in all the major cities throughout the globe, we have Eakins and they're focused on, you know, evangelizing the brand, um, telling our brand story. They focus a lot of their efforts around the relationship with our, our most important retailers and ensuring that, you know, they're really educated around our brand stories and campaigns, our latest and greatest products. They also are uh, essentially the grassroots extension of the brand. So our Eakin team 
uh, kind of takes the, the bigger brand message and allows us to make it really local and organic for the audience and in that city. And then we're, we're also, lastly, what I like to refer, refer to as Nike's trusted voice. So whenever there's, you know, big moments for the brand, um, the Eakin team is oftentimes called upon to um, help, you know, be the face and the representation of the brand. So uh, actually this past weekend, you know, had a bunch of my team down at the NBA All-Star Game and last or two weeks ago at, uh, at the Super Bowl, helping kind of lead some of the events and activations on the ground um, at those sport moments. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing position. Um, it gives you kind of the foundation of all aspects of the, of, of the Nike brand and kind of gives you the building blocks to pursue a long-term career path with the company, whether that's in marketing, you know, product creation, sales, et cetera. So uh, that's, what I, that's what I've been working on uh, for the last uh, three and a half years or so. I recently took on a, uh, a new assignment uh, temporarily um, in sales. So I'm kind of uh, gaining some critical experiences uh, closer to the business and kind of learning about our sporting goods business and, you know, the commercial side of Nike. So those are some of the things that I'm, I'm getting after currently. Um, and then, yeah, personally, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm also training for, for Boston Marathon this spring. So excited to embark on that. I had a little bit of a rough go last time I ran Boston. So uh, I don't want that to be my lasting impression of, of the race. Um, so hoping to, uh, to have a great experience as always there. And yeah, just uh, enjoying all that, uh, all the curveballs that life throws at, at me and my family. Well, it seems like you're taking them in stride and having fun and learning every day and just really making the most of all these opportunities. So I appreciate you know you sharing all that. Obviously, wish you the best of luck at the marathon. And I think what you're doing at Nike and everything that the organization is offering. And it's, just, it's not just me being a fan of the brand, but I've always seen Nike as being innovative and really pushing the envelope and trying different things and you know, really being committed to its customer base, which is obviously, I think, as you know, the most important aspect of it all. So it's just cool to see, you know, even what's it been, uh, 40, 50 years since Phil Knight founded the company and still doing these things and still being a leading brand and you being a part of that. That's just got to be such an exciting time, professionally speaking. Yeah, thanks so much, Colin. And yeah, kudos and congrats to you on all the success of, of Talent 409. I've, I've enjoyed... Uh, following the podcast and, and all the great things you're doing in the, in the sport community and, and instilling leadership. So uh, honored to be a part of the show today. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I'd be a terrible host if I let you go. I know you're a huge Yankees fan. Oh, give us, I, give us, give us a prediction for 2019. What's it going to be like this year for us fellow fans? This is our year, Colin. I, I think the Yankees have quietly over the last couple of years built an incredible foundation that, you know, can sustain for a really long time. I almost equate it back to like the years prior to their dynasty in the late nineties. So I feel really good about the Yanks this year. Also, it's never lost on the Yankees when the Red Sox win the World Series. So uh, I can imagine they're they're very, very hungry to get back on the field and hopefully make a run at a title this year. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you're right. Uh, being a fan myself, I would, I'd love to see number 28 and get that out of the way. And 
uh, stop hearing all these Red Sox fans celebrating, but, uh, you know, <laughs> gotta, gotta play the games, I guess, to, to figure that out. It'll be a fun season. I'm sure either way. Keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Chris, we appreciate you coming on uh, here today. Uh, it, it, real quick, uh, is there any way that if people want to learn more about Nike or anything that you're doing, where would you direct them to go? I think uh, definitely Nike.com. Uh, there's, you know, it's not just a commercial site nowadays. There's, you know, great opportunities to learn more about the brand and, and some of the amazing things that we're getting after. I actually um, am based in New York City, so we have our, our own city page. So if you want to check out Nike.com slash NYC, you can see um, some of the amazing things that some of my teammates are driving and leading here in New York as well. Awesome. So yeah, we'll put that in the show notes like we do with everyone else that comes on the pod. But Chris, it's been awesome. Really appreciate you taking some time here and wish you the best of luck with everything. Thanks again, Colin, and same to you.